for good. This morning, we're going to wrap up our series, You Asked For It. Remember, we did a survey, and we asked you to fill out a, a few questions that you may want answered or some things that you'd love to hear a, a, a message on. And so today is your most requested question. We had more, more requests for the question today of God's will and how I know God's will than any other question that we've answered so far. And so today is our final part of our series, and, and I figured we'd end it with a big bang because most people want to know, what is God's will for my life? It's a pretty important question. I think it's, it's, it's asked all over the world, what, is, what am I here for? What, if, what am I to do? What's, what am I supposed to be doing? What is my purpose? What is God's will? And so I think that a lot of us, we get hung up on God's will and knowing God's will. And I've seen Christians time and time again get hung up on not not knowing God's will. So so let me explain it. It's like this. It's like they want to know. They give their life to Jesus, and they want to go. Okay, okay. I got this new life inside of me. I've I've been I've been I've come from spiritual death into spiritual life, and now I got this energy and this excitement. What am I supposed to be doing? What is my purpose? What is my plan? And I think. A lot of us, when we don't get that the way we want it, we put our walk with Christ in park. And I believe Christians all over the world today are sitting in park because they just don't know what God's will is for their life. And I think some of you aren't going to move until you know what God's will is for your life. Because let's just face it, some of you are have to know people. Come on, you got kids like that. They, they ask why. Their favorite word is why. We're, we're, we're just get, get dressed. We're going out tonight. Why? Where are we going? What are we doing? Do you know we're the same way with God? Why, God? What are we doing? What, what, what you going to do next? And if he doesn't tell us, we sit and park. And so today I want to get us out of park and I want to get us moving again. That's my purpose today is to get you moving again in the direction that you're supposed to go. And just because you don't understand what God's will is for your life doesn't mean that you have the, the freedom to put it in park. God never intended for you to put it in the park. He wants you to keep going, to keep walking with him. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. It says this, the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? Listen to me, there's just some things you're not going to understand, right? Sometimes people die that we're, we're close to, people that we love, they die, and we don't know why. You may not ever know why. You may not ever understand until you get to heaven, right? You just got to be okay with the fact that you may not know why. But the beginning of that verse says the Lord directs our steps, so why try to understand everything along the way? Part of trusting God is keeping on going even if you don't understand. It's trust. If God told you everything that was going to happen every day, it wouldn't require as much trust. Wouldn't require much faith, right? If you knew what was going to happen at work every day, if you knew the adversity that was going to come, the challenges that were going to come, it wouldn't take much faith to go to work, right? Right? So let me give you some practical things because the Bible is very practical and I want to get the practical part of this message out the way. So let me give you some practical things because there are some things that we're supposed to be doing every day. 
right? The Bible's clear. So if you're sitting in park and you're saying, well, I don't know what God wants me to do, well, then evidently you're not reading your Bible. That one landed like a brick. <laughs> so let me give you a few practical things. The, the, one of the first things is the Bible's clear that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what do you need to be busy doing? Loving God with everything that you have. Then it says to love your neighbor as yourself. That means you need to be busy loving, loving your unlovely neighbor. The one that throws his grass clippings in your yard. You need to be busy loving that person like you love yourself. Then the Bible says to go make disciples. You need to be busy making disciples. That's part of his will for your life is that you would take some people along the journey of life with you. And you will just teach them all that you've learned. That's discipleship. Jesus took the disciples with him and they just walked with him. It wasn't a classroom setting. The classroom was life. Then the Bible's clear that we should serve others. It says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. I know you love that one. And then the other one is to love one another. We're called to love each other. Those are some things that we just need to be busy doing. Right? So if you're, if you're sitting in park this morning, you're going, I don't know what God wants me to do. <laughs> he wants you to love him. He wants you to love your neighbor. He wants you to make disciples. He wants you to serve others. And he wants you to love one another. Be busy doing that and you'll discover what his will is for your life. You see, we, we don't want to move until we got a word. We don't want to move until we get a, 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 an answer to our question. We don't want to move until God says, well, you're going to be in Baton Rouge. We don't want to go until God says to go when he's already told us to go, right? So Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So God's plans aren't for disaster, they're for good. He knows the plans that he has for you, so you just need to trust him. Even when you don't know. Right? Even when you don't know. Listen, I had a lot of ideas of what I was supposed to be doing for God. 99% of them didn't come to pass. The 1% did. (laughs) And it's currently coming to pass. I had my ideas, I had my, my goals, my visions, my dreams, but he directed my steps. So how do I know God's will for my life? Because sometimes he tells us. Sometimes he lets us in. Watch what it says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and 2. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How does he do that? By changing the way you think. In other words, let God change your mind. Then, when you let God change your mind, when you don't follow the customs of this world, And you give your body as a living sacrifice to him. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Which is good and pleasing and perfect. You you see that? 
it's not a mystery, right? It's really not a mystery. It's, let, me, let me sum it up for you real simple. If you'll just continue to follow Christ and let him move in you, let the Holy Spirit produce fruit in your life, then you're going to learn what God's will is for your life. So that should give you hope, right? Very practical, very simple. There are things that we're supposed to be doing, and there is hope that we can learn what his will is if you don't know. Amen? I can stop right here and we say, man, that was good. Right? I got something today. There's more excitement outside than there is inside. So let me show you something this morning. I want to show you. There's many great stories in the Bible that talk about God's will and show how God's will comes to pass. And I want to show you one this morning from the life of Joseph. So go with me to Genesis chapter 37. So I've taken care of the practical side of knowing God's will. What we're supposed to do. The Bible says, the Bible says this. I'll just continue with this. The Bible says that my sheep know my voice. In other words, you can hear God's voice. You can be led by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that those that are led by the Holy Spirit are children of God. They're heirs of God. So God speaks to us. We're led by his Holy Spirit. Those are just some other practical things that happen. In the, in the life of a Christian, and the reason I wanted to say this is because I believe some of you, the enemy is going to trick you or, or maybe convince you that God doesn't speak. Well, he speaks to the pastor. He doesn't speak to me. Or he speaks to the, the older people in the church and not to me, and that's a lie. God speaks to every one of us. He speaks through his word. Occasionally, he speaks audible. Mostly, he speaks to our heart. And sometimes, he speaks through other people. I mean, dear goodness, he used the donkey. I think I'm a little better than a donkey. I don't know. A hare. So Genesis chapter 37, I want to show you the story of Joseph. Let's pray real quick. Father, I just come to you this morning. Lord, I just break off. Lord, just come and have your way this morning. Lord, your word is powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, to pierce even the hardest hearts. And Lord, this word is heavy, and this word is powerful, and this word is true. And Lord, I don't want to waste time on it. I don't want to spin my wheels on it. Lord, I want it to break through this morning. So Father, open our hearts. I pray all the distractions leave. Speak through me and to me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick up on, on, in chapter 37, verse 1, talking about Jacob. Jacob is Joseph's father. Jacob have, had 12 sons. Joseph was at the time one of the youngest ones. Um, so verse 1 says, So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, you need to write that down. He's 17 years old. He often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers and sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. 
Verse 3, Joseph loved, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe or a coat of many colors. So Joseph's got 12 sons, but the youngest one seems to be his favorite. And instead of giving him just a regular work robe, which is what they used, it was, it was a thing that kind of came over their head and it shielded the front and the back and it was a carry-all. It kind of was important. A lot of times they would leave the robe as, a, as a, a down payment or a guarantee on something that they promised to do. A robe was very important. It protected them from the sun, but it was kind of like a work vest in sense. And it, it came pretty low and it protected them. Joseph's robe, they, some, some people believe, was it came over the head and it actually had sleeves. And it was very long and it was very beautiful. The, the children in children's church learn it's the coat of many colors, Right? This, this version of the Bible says it's a beautiful robe. And so no matter what it was, or no matter how you describe it, it was different than what the rest of his brothers got. Okay? Now, he was already the favorite, and everybody knew it. And you know how we feel about the favorite, right? You need to get honest in church this morning. You know how you feel about the favorite person in your family, right? You, you remember all the things you said about them? You know, confession's good for the soul. Just trying to help your soul this morning. So Joseph makes him a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. (laughs) Couldn't say a kind word. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So Joseph goes to sleep at 17 years old and he has this dream and he gets up in the morning and he tells his brothers the dream. You know how you were when you were 17? You were full of what? Don't answer. Because <laughs> there would be different answers. So he wakes up and he says, hey, listen to this dream, he said. We were all out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Now they already hated him. He just got the special robe and now he gets a dream from God and he tells them. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams Watch this. And the way he talked about them. You see, here's here's something you may need to write down. God will give you a dream before you're mature enough to handle it. God will give you a dream before you're mature enough to handle it. Because Joseph received the dream at 17 and evidently he wasn't mature enough to handle it. He goes out and blabs his mouth to his brothers. And watch this. That's what actually propels him into his destiny. Verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. (laughs) He didn't learn the first time. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Were your mother and I... And your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. (laughs) 
Number one, Joseph had a dream. Pretty simple. Joseph had a dream. Some of you have a dream. Some of you have had a dream since you were a child. Some of you have had a dream since maybe you were a teenager. Maybe some of you just got a dream. And you just realize that, you know what, there's a dream. There's something that I, that I, I feel like I need to shoot for. There's a goal that I need to pursue. There's something that needs to happen. Some of you have a dream. Now, I want to make something clear before we move on to the next point is that sometimes God speaks through dreams and sometimes he speaks to us and leads us in other ways. Because some of us, we just don't dream. I don't have many dreams. And the ones I have have, they haven't come to pass. I think it was just the pizza. Right? So, so I get jealous when people sometimes have dreams. My business partner, had a, he, he had dreams. And, and I'd find myself getting jealous. I'm like, you don't want a dream. I want a dream with some deep meaning. Well, instead, I'm fighting some stupid dog somewhere. And... But God moves in other ways. Joseph had a dream. Jonah had a word from God. Right? David was moved by injustice. Remember when David was taking care of his father's flock? He killed the lion and the bear. Why did he kill the lion and the bear? Because they were trying to kill something he was responsible for. It was an injustice there. When he met Goliath, why did he take on Goliath? Because Goliath was putting down the children of God. He was putting his God down. That was an injustice. Injustice drove David. Some of you are moved by injustice. Some of you cry because of things that you see and you don't know how to deal with it and you don't know how to change it. Some of you are moved by poverty. Some of you are moved by abuse. Some of you are moved by by maybe specifically women that are abused. Are you following me? Listen to me. God's using something in your life to fulfill his will in your life. Maybe today you just need to realize what that is. What is it that you go to sleep thinking about and you wake up in the morning thinking about and i'm not talking about i wish i wouldn't have ate that much and then wake up in the morning and go i wish i could get something to eat <laughs> sometimes i think my metabolism only kicks in at night i don't know why i said that so joseph had a dream god's going to speak to you in many different ways and in many different forms some of you are just going to be led by his holy spirit are you are you getting this There's something, there's something that burns you. I've heard a lot of preachers say that the thing that aggravates you is the thing that you're called to. Man, I've seen that come true in my own life. Joseph was 17 years old when he got the dream and he didn't know how to handle it. But the way he handled it set off a chain of events that led him to the place to fulfill the dream. I bet Joseph thought at 17 years old in all of his pride and arrogance that it was going to happen right away. Right? He gets the dream, man, come in the next couple of days. They're going to bow down to me. I mean, I already got the coat, right? I'm already the favorite, so they're going to bow down to me. He didn't know it was going to take 13 years for that to happen. You see, there's a good side to having a dream from God at a young age, and then there's a bad side. <laughs> the bad side is you've got to wait for it to happen, and all the things that God's going to do in you during that time you're waiting, right? Number two, God uses other people to, di- to direct his steps. We're watching Joseph fulfill God's dream for his life. 
So basically, after he gets rebuked from his father and, and they kind of go their way, his brothers take the flock and they go to graze them in another town. And they're gone for a while. And, the father, and Jacob comes to Joseph. He says, look, I want you to go and travel to this town. I want you to check on your brother and, and, and wear your nice coat. So he, he finds a place where his brothers are, are grazing the flock. And he's coming, and from a long distance off, the, his brothers realize that it's Joseph. They recognize the coat, and they start making plans to kill him. Let's get rid of this sucker. I'm tired of him. Always the favorite. Why daddy likes him more than me? Some of those words sound familiar, don't they? So Joseph gets closer, and they make these plans, and we're going to kill him. And, and maybe we can rip up his beautiful robe and put some blood on it and and tell dad an animal got him watch what happens watch how god uses other people verse 18 when joseph's brothers saw him coming they recognized him at a distance as he approached they made plans to kill him here comes the dreamer they said come on let's kill him and throw him into this into one of these cisterns we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him then we'll see what becomes of his dreams Verse 21, but Reuben, say Reuben. There's always a Reuben in your life. Reuben heard of their scheme to, Reuben heard of their scheme. He came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. God will always send somebody to rescue you. The person you thought hated you was actually there to rescue you. I'll say that again. The person you thought hated you was actually there to rescue you. You see, Reuben rescued him from death because death was not God's plan for Joseph's life. Right? Death was not God's plan. But him being rescued was not God's plan either. Because a little while later in the story... They agreed to do what Reuben said to do. And so they're about to do it. Reuben leaves and Judah comes up. He says, you know what? Yeah, let's not kill him. Look at these band of gypsies that are coming. Let's sell him. So Reuben agrees. Reuben agrees to not kill him. And the brothers agree to not kill him. And then, and then Judah says, yeah, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And so they sell him, and then Reuben comes back to rescue him, and he's not there. Where is he? He's locked up in a caravan with a bunch of gypsies heading to Egypt. He's been sold for 20 pieces of silver. You see, Reuben rescued him, but Judah launched him. You got to get this. There's people that have hurt you. There's people that have done vile things to you. God's using them to either rescue you or to launch you. You're going to have to think a little bit this morning. You thought it was all bad. You thought it was all to kill you. But remember, his plans are to prosper you. And not to bring you into disaster. God does not. He's not going to bring you into disaster. He has a plan for you. It's a good plan. God uses other people to direct our steps. God's used people in my life to direct my steps. My daddy was out of the way for a reason. 
God didn't want me to be my daddy. That's, that's hard to swallow. My mom's not here anymore. My mom had great influence over me. Her influence was done. You got to get this. There's been people in my life, I've worked for some of the hardest men on the planet, and they've directed my steps. And along the way, I learned what was inside of me. I learned what I was made of. God showed himself to me along the way. When my family rejected me and it hurt to the core, God reminded me that I plucked you out of that family for a reason. I'm starting a new generation with you. I did that. He told me those specific words. I did that. And inside I went, what? Why'd you do that to me, God? Because he has a plan. So number three, the Lord was with Joseph everywhere. The Lord was with Joseph everywhere. And some of you today, you don't feel like God's with you. You don't feel like he's anywhere as close to you. And I just want to say to you, don't live your life by your feelings. Live your life being led by the spirit of God. Live your life by knowing whether or not you're in the presence of God. Because you see, God gives us an indicator to know whether or not we're in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, everything that you touch becomes alive. Everything that you go to do prospers. God was with Joseph in the midst of all this. I'm going to show it to you. Go with me to chapter 39. You can read chapter 38 on your own. It's a little weird. I don't know why they put that there, but it's there. The Lord was with Joseph everywhere. Verse 39, watch this. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph lands in a very good place as a slave. He lands in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is close to the king. And he's in a good spot. So watch this. Verse 4, the, I mean verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Notice the Bible doesn't say that Joseph sat on his butt and pouted. Notice the Bible said, doesn't say that Joseph went into a deep depression. Notice the Bible doesn't say that Joseph had an emotional breakdown. The Bible says that Joseph served. He, he, in other words, he got up and he went to work. It's not too deep. He got up and he went to work. And when he went to work, God blessed the work of his hands and he succeeded. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph 
complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about anything except what to eat. Now, up until this point, Joseph doesn't realize he's an administrator, that he's got an administrative gift until he gets to Potiphar's house. You see, when he was at his daddy's house, he was just a tattletale. But now that he's at Potiphar's house, he's an administrator. And he realizes that I've been given a gift of administration. You see, sometimes if you don't go through what you go through, you're not going to realize who you are and what's inside of you. Come on, somebody. I'll never forget a time I was, I was sent out to, do a, to go work for a, a new superintendent that they hired outside of the company. And it was at this carbon black plant. And I went, and this guy was doing a horrible job. Everybody was frustrated with him. I go in just to run a piece of equipment for this guy. And I'm there 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour, and the guy quits. Just walks off the job. And all of us laborers are just sitting there. And there was something inside of me that said, we got to be busy doing something. Because we're getting paid. And so I grabbed the guys and said, hey, look, I don't know what to do. Let's just, let's just organize this thing. The job was in shambles. Stuff was everywhere. So I jumped on a piece of equipment. I started giving orders. Never done this before in my life. All of a sudden, something rose up inside of me. And we, within a couple of hours, we set the whole job in order. The job site was clean. It was neat. It was structured. It was ready to, it was ready to prosper now. The company man comes driving up. He goes, what happened here? Where's, where's the superintendent? I said, well, he quit. Well, who did this? I said, well, we did. Well, who told him to do that? I did. I want you to run the job. He called the company I was working for and said, this guy's running the job. I was a laborer. I didn't realize what was inside of me until I was in that position. You got to get this. Sometimes you never know what's in you until there's an opportunity in front of you. Right? And I realized that day that there's something inside of me. I saw that happen right in front of my eyes. All of a sudden, before that, I didn't care what a job site looked like. I didn't care how things went. I was clueless to all that. I just wanted to make a paycheck. But that day, my eyes were opened up and I saw something that just didn't feel right. And I just kept doing what I needed to do until it felt right. And it was a couple years later that I received the prophecy that said, you will spend your time taking things that are out of order and putting them in order. And so everywhere I went from that day forward, every job I went on to, it went from disorder to order. I was anointed to do that. The weirdest thing, because I was like, man, I feel anointed to do this. And the whole time I was thinking, I need to be doing something spiritual. But God was doing something natural that he would later use to do something spiritual. Because now I'm in a position where I take people and their lives are out of order. And God gives me the anointing to put their lives back in order. (laughs) Okay. The Lord was with Joseph everywhere. Here's the thing. Joseph continued to serve. He didn't quit. He continued to press on. He kept going. He didn't stop. He didn't give up. He didn't complain. He just put his head down 
and he went after it. And all along the way, the whole time, he didn't realize it, but he was in the middle of God's will. Joseph saw his life going down, and God saw his life coming up. You see, it's not your perspective that counts, it's God's perspective. That's why Romans says that he's going to change the way we think. Why is he going to change the way we think? Because we don't think right. We think that when we receive pain and we receive toughness and we receive obstacles and challenges that we've messed up, that we've done something wrong, that we need to give up. And God says, no, I put that in front of you so that you can walk through it and realize what's inside of you. Because here's the thing, the challenge in front of you is an opportunity to see the power that lives in you. If you never get in front of a challenge, you never get to see what's inside of you. If nobody ever hurts your feelings, then God doesn't ever get to heal your feelings. If nobody ever tells you no, (laughs) are you seeing this? But we spend too much time praying for God to take the challenges away, right? We've somehow believed the lie that we're supposed to live a challenge-free life. And we're not supposed to suffer. And we're not supposed to have hard times. And the wind is supposed to always be in our sails. And the flowers are always blooming. And the rain never comes. Somebody told us that along the way, that when you give your life to Jesus, all the bad things go away. Bull. I gave my life to Jesus and all hell broke loose against me. Everything went wrong. All the tires were flat. The car never ran. The battery was always dead. But we spend too much time dodging challenges and trying to get around them instead of going through them. I wonder if that's why God said in his word that if you speak to the mountain, it'll move. You never know how much faith you got until you speak to the mountain. Peter never knew how much faith he had till he stepped out the boat. Peter doesn't step out the boat. Peter never realizes what's inside of him. Now, everybody around Peter thought he was stupid. What, what did Peter say? Peter's going to do what? He's an idiot. Peter wanted to know what was inside of him. The challenges in front of you are an opportunity to see what lives inside of you. So number three, the Lord was with Joseph everywhere. There's a song on the radio now. It says, when your life seems to be falling apart, it's only falling into place. I thought that was pretty cool. When it feels like it's falling apart, it's really falling into place. Because you see, God's not so much concerned about your condition. He's more concerned about your position. And God was busy repositioning Joseph for his will. God had a plan. God knew the future. God knew what was going to happen. God knew what needed to happen. And he needed somebody to be there to make it happen. And he chose Joseph to get him there to make it happen. But Joseph could have never got where God wanted him to go unless he went through what God wanted him to go through. I mean, he could have went and applied for the job, right? He could have applied for the job, and even if he got it, he wouldn't have been able to do what God wanted him to do. 
Joseph realized at Potiphar's house that he had a gift of administration. So everything's going fine. Potiphar has to worry about nothing else but to eat. What am I going to eat today? How many of you would say that would be nice? All you had to worry about is what you're going to eat today. So Joseph's busy, man. He's doing his thing. God's anointed him. God is with him. Everything he's touching is succeeding. He's got favor galore. I mean, even Potiphar's house is being blessed for Joseph's sake. You see, the company you're working for needs to be blessed because you're there. And then here comes Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife comes. She likes what she sees. Young strapping man. Nice tan. Looks good. He's smart. He's got the wow factor. And she starts to put moves on him. And so he starts to dodge her. The Bible says he actually tried to get away from her time and time again. And in one time, he's caught up in a place where she's at. And she puts the moves on him. And he goes to get away. And she gets his cloak. And she starts screaming rape. And then he gets thrown into prison. Imagine how Joseph felt. I mean, that was an injustice, right? I mean, he didn't want the woman. But he got in trouble for it anyway. And so he's at his father's house. He's sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. Things are looking good. Then he's thrown into prison. And it seems like it's spiraling downhill fast. Seems like his life is in a mudslide. Seems like there's no way out. He's, I, I can only imagine what he's thinking. So he finds himself in jail. Here's the funny thing about the prison. Joseph left his daddy's house, finds himself in prison, which is actually closer to the palace. In prison, he was closer to the palace than he had ever been before. God's positioning him. God's moving him. God's directing his steps. Are you, are you tracking? Am I going too slow? I need to speed up. He's closer to the palace than he's ever been. He's in prison, though. And while he's in prison, instantly the prison guard re- realizes that the Lord is with Joseph. Once again, the Lord's with Joseph. Everything he does in the prison prospers. I don't know what can prosper in a prison, but evidently something prospered. And the, and the chief guard says, you're in charge of the whole prison. I'm thinking, that's a trustee. Right? And so all of a sudden, he's in charge of this thing. And it's funny that every time his life goes down, he gets put in charge. It seems like the deeper he goes, the more God elevates him. It seems like the worse his conditions get, the better his position gets. You you can't live your life with this. You cannot live your life with these. You can't. They'll only bring you down. You got to live your life with this and with your relationship with Jesus and the voice of the Holy Spirit because this tells you that it's all coming to an end. But the Holy Spirit says, oh no, buddy, you're just getting closer and closer. Many people in our church right now are worried about their jobs. Derek West was here last week. 
He said, they told me. I'm not going back. He's been working in Africa. He said, I'm not going back. I'm not fired, but they said I'm not going back. So my encouragement to him, man of God, just keep believing. It was a miracle how you got the job. They were paying him before he even stepped on the job. I mean, it's not just going to end like that. God's doing something. And I just encouraged him and I challenged him. He texted me the other day. He says, hey, just got an email. They said to come back. I was like, praise God. Right? Don't live by these. Live by faith. Joseph finds himself in prison. And then there's two other guys in there with him. One's the cupbearer, Pharaoh's cupbearer, and the other one's the baker. I love bakers. One of my good friends is a baker. He's a good baker, too. It's okay to be a man and be a baker, as long as your baking's good. Right? So he's in there with a, a cupbearer and a baker. And they're in there for a little while. And they both have a dream one night. And they tell Joseph the dream. Said, hey, can you interpret this dream? Joseph says, no, but only God can, but let me try. And Joseph interprets the dream. They tell him the dream. He tells the cupbearer, in three days, Pharaoh's going to call for you, and you're going to be reinstated. And the cupbearer's like, yes. So the baker goes, hey, listen to my dream. Tell me what I'm going to do. He says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to call for you, and you're going to be hanging on a stick. Be careful when you ask somebody to interpret your dreams. (laughs) You may not want to (laughs) know. Just let it happen. Sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh has a dream. Those guys get reinstated. Well, the one does. And he's serving Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has this dream, and he's trying to get all these people to interpret this dream. And when when the cupbearer was was leaving, Joseph said to him, remember me. He said these words to the cupbearer, remember me when things are going well for you. You see, he didn't tell the baker because he wasn't going to remember. (laughs) But he told the cupbearer that when you get reinstated, remember me. And when things go well, remember me and tell Pharaoh to get me out of here. Two years pass. I'd have been mad. I've been like the cupbearer needs to be hanging on a stick. Two years pass. And Joseph's in that prison by himself for two years. Think about that. For two years. Remember this. When he was 17 years old, he received the dream that everybody was going to bow down to him. That he was going to be great. All these wonderful things were going to happen. I bet he felt down in the dumps. I bet he repented of every sin he ever committed a thousand times. Because you know how we do when we get down in the dumps, right? We start repenting. I bet he he got mad at God. I bet he felt like a victim. I I bet he was angry. I bet he told God to take his life. I bet he had thoughts of taking his own life. But just when it looked like it was hopeless, something happened. Pharaoh had a dream. Everybody's trying to interpret the dream and no one can. And the cupbearer, because of his position, is very close to Pharaoh when all this is going on. Watch what the Bible says. It's funny. Verse 
verse 9. Finally, chapter 41, verse 9. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Watch what he says. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were very angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in a place of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. Why did God leave Pharaoh in there for, I mean, why did God leave Joseph in there for two years? You ever wonder? Why two years? Why are you going through what you've been going through for so long? You ever wonder? You see, God works in us. And he works through us. But he usually has to work in us before he can work through us. At 17 years old, he was running his mouth to his brothers that they were going to one day bow down to him. It sets off a chain of events that he ends up as as a slave and as a prisoner in Potiphar's house and realizes in the midst of all that that he has a gift of administration. Then he gets thrown into prison where he realizes he can interpret dreams. And then for two years after that, he sits in prison for nothing. The Bible doesn't say he did anything. You think maybe God was working on him? The Bible says, I resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. The Bible says to humble yourself and in due season, he will exalt you. Right? You see, God's busy about exalting humble people because he realizes that humble people realize it's not about them, it's about him. Prideful people see it as it's about them and not him. I believe God was humbling Joseph. He didn't have another opportunity to sharpen his gift. It doesn't say that he interpreted any more dreams. It doesn't say that he was still administrating. It doesn't say any of those things. It just says he sat for two years and God dealt with him. I imagine God tested his heart. I imagine he thought time and time again, what the heck is going on? I quit. You ever feel like quitting? I'm done. This Christian thing sucks. I can't take this anymore. The pressure's too much. But mysteriously, the cupbearer remembers. And he actually says, but I was reminded. You see, I think the cupbearer even realized who reminded him. Are you with me? The cupbearer all of a sudden remembers. Joseph comes out of the prison. He goes into the palace. From the prison to the palace. He's in the palace. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams to the point. And he even gives them wisdom on what to do next. 
And he makes this statement. This proves that he was humbled. Even though he interpreted the dream, even though he gave him the next steps, he said this. He said, you need to find somebody who's wise and administrative. Duh. It was him. He didn't say, you need to hire me. (laughs) You see, he didn't automatically start selling himself. He said, you need to find that man. And they looked and they came right back to him and said, no, you're the man. And in no time, he went from the prison to the palace, second in command. Pharaoh was so impressed by Joseph's gifts and talents that he made him number two in the kingdom. And he put a ring on his finger and he put him in charge of everything. And God used Joseph to prepare for a famine that was coming. A seven-year-long famine that was coming. God used Joseph to save nations. But the story's not done. Joseph rises to the top, and he's busy doing his thing. And I would imagine his family's probably not on his mind like it used to be. He maybe has fleeting thoughts about them every now and then, but he realizes, you know what, that was then, this is now, I've got to keep going. And he's busy about what God has for him to do. You see, that's one of the secrets, being busy about what God has for you to do. And one day, who shows up at his door? His family. They don't recognize him. They instantly bow before him. Then he starts playing games with them and he tricks them and this and that and all this other because he wants to see his daddy and he wants to see this new brother he's got that he didn't know anything about. And to make a long story short, God used Joseph to save his family. When he was 17, he just thought he was great and his family was going to bow down to him. But when he was in his 30s, 13 years later, he realized that God was in him. And God was using him. 